0: There, how are you? Wednesday edition of the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK, and Sean Carey. Steve on his way into the Sunbury Motor Studio, Sunbury Motors, Ford, Lincoln, Hyundai in the North Fourth Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on the Strip, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Lots of ways to get in contact with us. Drop us an email anytime, Steve Jones at WKOK.com, or also on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, Twitter handle at Steve Jones PSU. That is our one and only Twitter account. We don't have any burner accounts around here. Well they have to check on Matt Catrillo. He may have a burner account. The one guy on the planet you think would never have a burner account would be Matt Catrillo. We'll get the vetting process going on that. We'll talk more about Twitter burner accounts later. <laughs> Big topic of discussion in sports today. <laughs> he said Matt's yelling, you got me. <laughs> that was a quick vetting process. Man. <laughs> I don't get answers that quick in my own house, even for my two cats. We have some great NBA talk coming up. Dan Devine, NBA sports writer Yahoo Sports, scheduled to join us at three thirty five. Get you primed for the NBA Finals Chapter four tomorrow night, Cavs versus Warriors. As we mentioned a little while ago about uh, a Twitter burner account, The Ringer has released a big report on Philadelphia 76ers' president of operations, Brian, Colan- C- Brian Colangelo. And according to Ben Dietrich of The Ringer, Colangelo has been using several burner accounts on Twitter to do everything from promoting himself to tearing down his predecessor, Sam Hinkie, And that caused the 76ers this morning to release a statement... And we'll get into more of that next hour with Matt Leon from News Radio 1060, KYW Philadelphia. So we'll talk more about that topic. And also next hour, we'll have uh, Penn State men's basketball coach Patrick Chambers on the show. Pat, of course, and Steve will be taking part in Coaches versus Cancer, uh, the big fundraising golfing event coming up at Penn State later on this week. And there is also some Penn State basketball news to share uh, via. Uh, It's not official as of this point, but it looks like uh, a new coach will be joining uh, Patrick Chambers and his staff. We'll tell you more about that with Pat and Steve coming up next hour. So we're with you live till 5 here on WKOK. And as we mentioned, Matt Catrillo, he'll be anchoring the late day news roundup at 5.06. CBS Sports Radio will be on with us at 7. And then tonight after 9.30, we'll head back to L.A. for more Philadelphia Phillies baseball. Game number three of the four games set between the Phillies and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Great performance last night by Jake Arrieta. Watched the Phillies implode Monday night in the series opener. Well, Jake rectified that last night, pitching seven scoreless innings in Philadelphia's 6-1 victory. Arrieta allowed six singles, two walks, struck out five to improve his record to 5-2 and two with a 2.16 ERA. So we will have Phillies baseball tonight. Hey, they
1: played great last night, 6-1. to one.
0: Wow. Yes, Jake Arietta great performance. Yeah. Uh, uh, tonight guess we'll have it. another 10-10 first pitch. Then tomorrow, looking forward to tomorrow, will be Aaron Nola and Clayton Kershaw.
1: Yeah, that should be something else. Looking forward to it. Uh, that will be terrific. And that was a great win for them last night. Meanwhile, the Pirates uh, had another one of those... <laughs> Are we playing tonight
0: games? (laughs) There's a game tonight, right? I watched a little bit of the game last night and timed it perfectly to see that Anthony, the the, the Rizzo home run, and the Cubs fan grabbing the ball. And they were trying to get a different different camera angle to see if the ball would have fallen underneath the yellow stripe. (laughs) Called it a ground rule double, but no, they kept it a home run.
1: That was a home run. uh, Yeah.
0: Then it was Schwarber hit one off the
1: off the foul pole, and they had the foul pole might Ding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: no doubt about that one. <laughs> no doubt about that one. We have, in our opinion, and it's usually just our opinion, a very interesting show. By the way, I've received a lot of notes from people saying that racing should be won while you're actually when the car is moving. How about that? I mean, a lot of stuff on that. You
0: know, it's like,
1: uh, I know. It's, it's, like I said yesterday, I said, well, no, all the action takes place in the pits. In other words, when the car is stopped, that's when the action takes place. Lowest ratings for the Indianapolis
0: five hundred in thirty years. <laughs> NBC. Good luck with that next year.
1: Well, actually, um, uh, not really. Actually, that's good news for for Indy. NBC and NBC Sports Net actually work very hard at promoting it, and they have the rest of the circuit. And IndyCar ratings have actually been going slightly up, slightly up, slightly up. The only thing that's been falling has been the 500, which is the one thing they don't carry. Well, next year they'll carry it, and I've, I've got a feeling the way they promote it, it's actually it's actually good news for, for them. But it was the lowest ratings in 30 years, and um, the first time any passing took place happened to be in the parking lot when people were desperately trying to get out uh it's just i loved it though
0: i loved it watching it as a kid when it was tape delay when you had jim mckay and jackie stewart and you had a a tightened shorter version of the race but yeah when you run it live you have the chance of having a lot of a lot of downtime you don't know how many yellow flags are going to pop up god forbid you don't want any red flags popping up
1: Yeah, but the last two years you've had pass, 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 pass. It was exciting racing. This year, nobody passed anyone. And drivers lost control of the cars without being hit by anybody and just hit walls. That was it. The action was... 7.2 Seven point two seconds in the pit. No, was the car wasn't moving, we were all excited. Uh, that's not racing. That's not racing.
0: That's the game within the game. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the game within the game. I love that. That's the game within the game. Well, you don't get five hundred miles sitting still. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't happen. I thought of that, you know that
0: last. I thought of that last night on our post-game show. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> It's a game within the game. And guess what? You don't get 500 miles sitting there. Okay? Okay? The game is actually when you're moving. <laughs> oh, golly. Oh, you don't understand. Yes, I do. When they start and go 500 miles, whomever gets there first wins. <laughs> okay? Stop playing for points. Okay. oh no we we'll do really well, you know we will get enough points out of it. The heck with the points win the race. I'm sick of these people playing for second and third all the time. Golly, that's not how I grew up. Okay, if you lost, you lost. You'd be amazed uh now we have to get a couple of items in today uh Matt Leon's going to join us today. Talk about the Brian Colangelo situation. Uh, We have is Dan Devine's today, right?
0: Yes, three thirty-five.
1: Three thirty-five. So Dan Devine will be next. Then at four oh six, Patrick Chambers, new assistant coach for Penn State, being announced, and then we'll go four thirty-five. Matt Leon. Does that make sense to you? Perfect. Yes. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah, I don't know about you.
0: I don't race for second. Do you? No. What was that famous uh, Ricky Bobby line? You now you finished. You finished second. Your first and last place. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Well.
1: Now I realize the excuse is used a lot. I, f- I finished second for that digital media account. Okay, well what? Stop laughing. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio ten seventy WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motor. All right, Dan Devine will join us in the next half hour to talk about the NBA Finals. Uh, Andre Iguodala is out of Game 1, so my theme of the playoffs have been more about who hasn't been there instead of who is uh, continues. Now, I've got a feeling Dan will completely disagree with me on that, but I'm still going to ask that as the opening question anyway, just to preview that. Uh, Let's get to college basketball. As you know, know, Tony Carr has worked out for the Hawks. The Magic, the Bulls, the Pistons, the Phoenix Suns. He's worked out for all those teams. Uh, there was no decision about him staying in the draft. He had already hired an agent. Uh, but there are also several players that Penn State plays against that uh, are making decisions about staying in or out uh, let's start with Maryland. Bruno Fernando, the 6'10 center, is going to go back to Maryland. But Kevin Herter, dynamic outside shooter, is leaving Maryland and is going to stay in the draft. Carson Edwards of Purdue has decided to pull his name out of the draft. He is going back to Purdue for his junior season Dante DiVincenzo is staying in the NBA draft and leaving Villanova Kansas big man Adoka Azabuke, will withdraw from the NBA draft he's going back to Kansas for his junior season so these are some of the decisions that have to be made uh... by different players. Amari Spellman I mentioned DiVincenzo Amari Spellman is going to keep his name in the NBA draft Now, of all the guys, I think Bridges is the best player they had I thought Spellman was the guy that had the second most potential in that group, yet it was a real waiver about him back and forth as to whether he'd stay in or out he's going to stay in the NBA draft he and DiVincenzo and Bridges all and Brunson are all staying in so, so those four are all gone. So the top returners next year will be Eric Paschal and Phil Booth for the defending national champions. Plus they added Joe Cremo in. So those are some of the news and notes from college basketball, because this is declaration day. Um uh, let's see. Uh Nick Saban is tired of taking heat for blocking transfers. You know what? You keep wanting to give the student-athlete more freedom, more leeway, more freedom, more leeway. You know what? Let them transfer wherever they want. Okay? If they want to, you know, if, if, if they want to go from Alabama to Auburn, let them. And I always love this, you know, oh, you know, they're going to know all about our system and how we do things. Huh. You do know when the NFL guys get picked up and waived and picked up and waived and traded all the time, right? Like in the middle of the season it happens. You don't see in the NFL the professional ranks all that all that much concern about it. You still, you know, the bottom line is you got better people, you got better people. If the player you're losing was was going to be the better player, then why aren't they playing? Just let them go wherever they want. Who cares? <clears throat> we get so caught up in all oh, transfer. Now they're going to have to play against them. Oh, well, for goodness' sakes, you know, if you got better people, you got better people. Okay, that's. I don't get all that wound up in it. If Ryan's really the one that get yeah, I think brought it to the breaking point when um, uh, Jared Udoff he had redshirted at Wisconsin Bo gave him a list of 26 teams he couldn't tra- he couldn't transfer to 13 in the Big Ten and everyone in the ACC and everybody said well, "Why? what the, the heck does he care about the ACC for because we might face him in the ACC challenge what? Really? So he went through all that little circus through all this and finally was granted to go wherever he wanted, and he ended up staying in conference and going to Iowa, where he had a good career. And by the way, during Jared Udoff's career at Iowa, Wisconsin made the Final Four twice. What's the, what, what's the difference? What's the big deal? What? They want to go someplace else, and you end up facing him? So what? There's a defensive lineman that left Penn State. He went to Rutgers. I was like, ah, let him. There's another defensive lineman, Cam Carter, went to Pitt. Ooh, okay, great. I mean, both ended up into, as players. I mean, hopefully their lives are going well. But as players, they ended up being non-factors. I mean, it's like, you know, guess what? You go out, if you lose somebody, you bring in somebody you think is better. Just keep going. You know, Saban's very strict about... And it's an SEC rule about transfers and so forth. And he says he's sick of taking the heat for it. Just let them go where they want. You know you know what? They want out, they want out. And look, Alabama obviously is going to get more publicity than everybody else. They're perennial contenders for the national championship and then one plenty of them. Uh, Under current SEC policy, players are unable to transfer within the conference without a waiver. They choose to do so anyway and don't receive a waiver. They must sit out a season before regaining eligibility. Uh, Now, not every coach feels that way in the SEC. Because Will Muschamp allowed running back David Williams to transfer from South Carolina to Arkansas. just let him go just let him go they don't want to, I mean you certainly don't want somebody that doesn't want to be there just let him go and let him sign wherever they want who cares yeah Your program's good enough; it should be able to overcome it with no problem, and you should be able to replace it with somebody you think's even better. My goodness, you you don't—you usually see starters, for example, transferring. All right, Dan Devine, next half hour to talk about the NBA Finals. It's so refreshing to see two new teams in there, isn't it? Oh, they aren't two new teams. Oh, did I miss something? It was meant to be. Yeah, it's meant to be, all right. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the ratings are on this. If there's excitement about it because everybody knows the players, or if there happens to be Warriors-Cavaliers fatigue. I don't know. We'll see. That's coming up next half hour. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf.
0: Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones.
1: To be with you on this Wednesday, day before the NBA Finals get underway, and he's an NBA writer with Yahoo Sports. Dan Devine, Dan, welcome. It's great to have you on the show for the first time.
2: Oh, thanks so much for having me, Steve. How you doing?
1: I'm doing really well, Dan. Um, these NBA playoffs, and let's—I'll uh, take the last two rounds in particular. Has the story been more about who hasn't been there than who is there?
2: To some degree, uh, you know, I think obviously when you know, it's funny to, to sort of think about the the final. We ended up with a final four that was the final four we started the season with. It was the two that you know, the doubleheader on opening night was Cavs, Celtics, and, and Rockets, uh, Warriors, and so much of the drama leading into opening night was you know LeBron and Kyrie, and you know after everything the things that didn't work out last summer. Uh, with them and everything that shook loose, how, uh, kind of how dramatic it would be to have them squaring off against one another. And to not have Kyrie Irving available for the Celtics, uh, was obviously, you know, it, 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 it played a big factor for Boston. You know, they, they were able to, uh, you know, to, to weather his absence throughout the, the postseason. But, uh, you know, you would have loved, they, they certainly would have loved to see him there. And then from a storyline sort of narrative perspective, it would have been pretty great to see those guys locked horns in a postseason series. And then the other big sort of story of that opening night was five minutes into the season, Gordon Hayward goes down with that horrific ankle injury. So the big, uh, sort of launching point, uh, you know, landmark kind of free agent that they signed to elevate their, their wing rotation. Winds up not being able to play for the remainder of the season and, and in the playoffs. But that said, it also opened the door for guys like Jason Tatum, for guys like Jalen Brown to really rise to the occasion and, and you sort of spark their development. And you know they performed beautifully throughout the season and in the in the postseason as well. So in that series, to me, the story. Of you know, sort of what would the Celtics be at full strength? Well, you know, yeah, it would have been, would have been wonderful to see. But the the way the Celtics sort of evolved, I think, wound up making them kind of who they were by the end there. And who they were was, you know, good enough to take LeBron to Game Seven of the NBA Finals. Uh, and then in the, on the other side of the bracket, of course. Not having Chris Paul in the lineup for game six and seven uh, of the, the conference finals was just, it's an incalculable loss for a team that brought him to Houston for that specific reason. You know, they watched James Harden get gassed out against San Antonio in the, uh, the second round a year, one year earlier and realized they did not have another playmaker. They did not have another creator there, uh, to put themselves in sort of position to You know, reduce his burden, get get buckets on nights he wasn't available, and then you saw that plan working. You saw Chris Paul able to take over in games down the stretch of the the fourth quarter, in games four and five, and put. Houston within one game of the finals, and then his absence just completely changed the uh, changed the math for for the Rockets. And you know when everything starts going haywire and uh, with, from the, beyond the three point line, they didn't have somebody else to sort of settle things down and get a bucket. Uh, and it, you know it cost them dearly. But you know stuff happens when you get to this this time of year, and injuries are are a part of almost every every the story of every postseason. So uh, you know we still wind up with the teams that we expected, but you know looking a little bit different than we anticipated.
1: Yeah, no no question because I look at guys like Terry Rogier and Marcus Smart to me a really good backup quarterback in the NFL is a guy that for a couple games he can get you to the promised land but long term is not the answer that's why they're the backup quarterback and I kind of look at Rogier and Smart in that same vein with Irving out
2: I think to some degree, I mean, Smart is almost—it's weird. Smart is maybe almost more like, a, you know, kind of like a chaos linebacker or something like that. Yeah. I feel like Mark, Marcus Smart belongs on the other side of the ball. Um, but, it, but yeah, with, with, but with Rozier, I think you're right. I think the, you know, there's, there's, a, he deserves an awful lot of credit for the work he has put into his development over the course of the last three years to be ready for the opportunity. Um, Danny Ainge deserves a lot of credit for seeing, uh, you know, what he could be coming out of. Louisville, uh, you know, at a point where when, when he was selected in the first round a couple years back, people really wondered if that was a big reach for him. I mean, he wasn't somebody that would have profiled as, you know, top 15, top 17 kind of pick, and people sort of wondered if Ainge went off the reservation a little bit there, but the kind of traits that that Rosier had is, you know, a, a dogged defender, a guy who could shoot off the dribble, a guy who uh, would put in the work to be ready for an opportunity like this. You saw that sort of bear out. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you, you get put into a situation where you're forced to you know hold up as the lead ball handler and creator against the LeBron James team and especially when LeBron is going to do his his darndest every time out to isolate you you're the only guy on the court that's not like 6-7 or 6-8 and 220 or to 260 so he's going to make you defend him and he's going to figure out how to orchestrate the chess match so that you're on the ball and that became such a huge you know kind of game of cat and mouse whack-a-mole uh, in that series so Rozier over the course of seven games of course is going to to feel that and going to bear that burden um you would love to have him available to do that for 10, 15 minutes of full effort a game, as opposed to having to do it for 38, 40, uh, and Kyrie Irving, certainly just ter- as great as Rosario is, just, there's no, no replicating the, the creation, uh, that, that Irving can provide. And, uh, it, when you came down the stretch again, you know, similarly to the, uh, the Western conference finals, the Celtics were generating looks, they were generating three point shots, but they didn't really have a whole lot of one-on-one creation in game seven. And that's, you know, what they, what they desperately were hoping to get from Kyrie, uh, sets things up really interestingly for next year if you see those teams at full strength
1: Dan now let's stick with the theme of who's not there and who will not be there in game one is Andre Iguodala who missed several games in the Houston series what does that do to the matchups and what does that take away from Golden State that he brings to the table that somebody else really can't replicate
2: it 's a big question It takes away a security I think to some degree for golden State you know they when they get into trouble it 's when they 're throwing the ball over the place when they 're getting a little bit too cute with their passing, when they are trying to make a home run play as opposed to kind of staying on you know on schedule and he 's a guy who really helps settle them down in their you know when they're working in the half court. He's not a great shooter but he's a guy that can make jump shots. He's a guy who when defenses ignore him is smart enough to understand where to put himself on the bar, on the floor with you know off ball cuts and making himself into a screener and those sorts of things to be able to kind of keep the offense flowing. Uh, I think you saw a lot of times later in that uh, that series against Houston Golden State's offense you know, for all the talent they have, would tend to kind of gum up, and it would wind up being, you know, Durant isolations or Steph Curry kind of trying to pop loose thirty feet away from the basket, and not a whole lot of uh, flow. And they're they're at their best when he's out there as a supplementary creator and, and sort of guy keeping the ball moving. And then on the defensive end, you know, he won it Finals MVP a few years ago for his on-ball defense on LeBron James. He's not that quite that guy anymore, but he's still an incredibly versatile defender, a uh, guy who would be, you know, in all likelihood get the first uh, first if, he, if they were going to start that lineup, at least start the lineup where he plays uh, uh, Draymond plays center and they play small, that Hampton's five lineup, would probably get the first crack on LeBron. Um, it'll require more from Kevin Durant defensively on uh, the primary matchup there. It'll require more from Draymond Green, making it more difficult for him to be kind of the rover, free safety, uh, you know, game plan record that he can be. Uh, it, it, it complicates things. it It, it makes them sweat And, uh, you know, LeBron... Uh, is uh, you know when you give him give him an opening, he's going to go right through it and get to the rim. So I think there, if uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, tilt the scales in, in Cleveland's you know favor necessarily, but I think it does create uh, it levels the playing field a little bit here and creates you know some concern about how Golden State is going to match up defensively on LeBron, uh, you know over the course of this for the first game here, and then if it, if he's limited or unable to return after that, you know uh, it kind of engenders big you know bigger questions. And, hey, listen, if Cleveland is able to go in there and get game one, then we're talking about it a very, very different series.
1: No question, Dan. And uh, what are your thoughts on the Cavaliers remake? I'll do, do this in two parts. What did you think at the trade deadline, how they remade the team? And now a couple of months later, what are your thoughts on it?
2: I really liked the uh, the move at the trade deadline if for no other reason than it had become pretty obvious that the Isaiah Thomas experiment was not going to work out it had not it was not going to you know it had run its course and it was not going to uh generate anything really positive for Cleveland this season um you, you you understood the idea certainly you know if kyrie wants out you got to get somebody you know something of value for him and the uh, the combination of an all-star point guard you know the guy with an all-star ceiling in Isaiah Thomas and you know a lottery pick from uh, the uh, unprotected from the Brooklyn Nets it was about as good of a return as you were going to get in that situation but uh, at the trade deadline it seemed like you know you move him, you get uh, you, you get back a little, at least some sort of athleticism. You know, Larry Nance Jr. being a guy who can run the floor, fill the lane, finish above the rim, uh, you know, pick and roll kind of player, and a guy who's made, you know active defensively. Jordan Clarkson is a trick or treat kind of guy who you know could, could score in bunches, could handle the ball a little bit. George Hill, I loved the idea of getting another sort of caretaker point guard who could shoot the three and defend a little bit. Um, the, in practice, it hasn't worked out nearly as cleanly as I think I and a lot of other people people thought um, you know they're not getting uh, sort you know Clarkson has been a real tough player for them to play over the course of the postseason because of his defensive liabilities and the fact that he's just going to jack it almost constantly as soon as he gets on the floor every time he gets the ball uh, and Hill has been hit or miss as far as his contributions but when he's good he really elevates that team as a, you know another shooter another driver a guy who can sort of create something that doesn't have to come from LeBron um, so I think you know you've, you've seen some of the, the positives come to come to bear you've seen the you know, Larry Nance's energy change things uh, you know for possessions at a time you know provide a real jolt off the bench and that's been a positive thing for Ty Lue from you know from time to time but certainly uh, you haven't seen those guys be like real game breaking figures maybe the biggest thing you got though in that situation was you sort of exercised the demons in the locker room and you got maybe the most committed you got a recommitted LeBron James and as we've seen to this point uh, you know that's really the biggest difference maker that there is in the Eastern Conference because when you've got him on all, you know, locked in and firing on all cylinders. Uh, we haven't yet seen the you know the team that's going to be able to stop that.
1: LeBron James has not missed a single game this season. I mean, he played all 82 regular season games, every game in the playoffs, and so forth. What have you thought of his performance the last four weeks?
2: I'm, it, it's, it makes me. Uh, you know, I, I, it's beyond belief. It's kind of staggering that he is, uh, you know, with whatever I forget the, the running total now. I believe it's, it's well over fifty, fifty-three, fifty-four thousand career total minutes. If you add in regular season and postseason, um, you know, to be performing at this level, this deep into a season, this deep into his career at age thirty-three, um, is just it's we, we haven't we've never seen anything like it, uh, and it's. You know, the, the, you know there there will be plenty of time. Well, I can't you know it's not even I can't even say that there will be plenty of time for evaluating legacy and things like that uh, after it's over. But of course, everyone will continue to evaluate legacy and whatever as we go along because that's sort of the cottage industry that sprung up around him uh, over the years. But uh, it is you know being able to take all the sort of chaos and uh, you know absurdity that has surrounded the Cavs this season um, and the negative you know the, the number of negative performing players that they've had and had to sort of juggle, um, which he bears some responsibility for considering the way he's, you know, the pressure he's put on the team to, you know, to sign guys like Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith to big money contracts to keep the band back together and so on and so forth. But um, it's, uh, and you know, whatever responsibility he might have for Kyrie Irving's situation going south in the way that it did. Um, you know, it's not that he's a, you know, a uh, Self-negating angel in this situation, but um, <laughs> but you know, he, at, at the end of the day, there you know he had this is the roster they have, and he's had to carry it, and he has done it, and he's done it in a way that is like efficient and remarkable. Uh, to I, I feel like if you're watching him play at this point, and you're finding nits to pick, you're just you know you're missing the forest for the trees, and you're missing the forest for like a, a tiny uh, shrub down in the bottom left corner of the screen when there's so much else you could be paying attention to but uh, whether that's going to be enough to get more than one game against this Warriors team I don't know but uh, I think what we've seen so far has been pretty pretty impressive
1: How does Steve Kerr like to play this? I mean this will be the fourth straight series that we've seen this play out Does he like to play LeBron straight up or does he get more concerned about the other four guys?
2: I think they like to play LeBron straight up as best they can. You know, I think there's sort of a general idea that if LeBron goes for 50 on you, you know, that's not fun, but what you, love, what you really don't want is LeBron to go for 40 and then assist on 30. You don't want him to be able to draw and kick and activate those shooters and get J.R. Smith in rhythm and, and you know, popping for 15 points. You don't want Kyle Korver to get, you know, 16 or 17, not only a handful of shots because he's getting clean looks away from the, from the ball. Um, you know, you'll live with uh Tristan Thompson finishing plays around the rim or you 'll live with you know finishing in the pick and roll if that means that you 're so you 're able to stay at home on the other shooters and you 'll live with LeBron you know trying to bulldoze his way past Iguodala, past durant past draymond you know uh whatever you know whatever other you know big men they can throw at him to, you know whatever bodies they can, they can put out there to try to uh you know make him work for 46 minutes or however long he's going to wind up playing in in these games because the feeling is, like, if he's going to do that and he's going to score 50 points then, you know, it's going to take it out of him. You're going to be able to get it back on the other end. Kevin Durant's going to win, win finals MVP because he's going to score 38 points a game right. with LeBron giving it back on the other end. And we think we've got enough, on the, you know, with with our other offensive options to be able to win that game so long as we're not letting them shoot, you know, uh, make 15, 16 threes and getting everybody else going. So it's a, it's a – I would imagine if you're a coach, it is not necessarily a fun game plan to watch unfold because there has to be every erg of you saying, like, we got to stop him from going to the basket, bring the double, bring the double, bring the double. (laughs) But as soon as you do that, as soon as you bring the help, he's so smart and he's so big to see over the top of the defenses. He finds the open shooter every time. And, you know, when those three start adding up, they become a whole different team to handle. And I think that Kerr is going to look and say, we've got to limit that at all costs.
1: Okay, uh, Dan. Final question. And I appreciate the time very much. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, give me an X factor on each team, and an X factor could be a starter. Uh, so, give me an X factor on each team that you think might be swing guys. Beyond obvious, we know who the stars are. Sure. Who's under the radar that can help?
2: Well, I think that you're going to for for the Warriors. To me, I mean, the, the sort of eternal answer for the Warriors is Clay Thompson, because when he is able to to provide <laughs>
1: that, that was mine.
2: Yeah, when he, when yep. he's able to, to, to pop to pop loose and really get going, um, it takes their offense to a different level. Um, but beyond that, I mean, with Iguodala out, I think and a really important player will be uh, Sean Livingston, uh, another yep. guy who sort of fills in that. Uh, you know, can defend multiple positions, can handle the ball, uh, you know, dump him, dump the ball into the post against smaller defenders and let him kind of, you know, work that turnaround jumper that seems to, you know, go in 95% of the time. <laughs> you know, but a, a guy who can, who, who can sort of, you know, and who's been there for, throughout this, through this run and, and been sort of a big part of what they do, um, you know, as a stabilizing agent, uh, you know, that can, you know, Get, you know get a few buckets here or there, stall some possessions out, so I think when he 's been good, when he 's been able to handle some of those minutes, um, the warriors become a lot tougher to beat, and when uh, you know they haven 't been able to find that sort of stabilizing agent they 've got to calm things and settle things down, things can kind of get out of hand for them um, and then uh, for Cleveland j r Smith is a, a big a big one for me because yep. when you see j r at sort of the peak of his uh, of his attention and capacity uh he can be a really engaged defender he can make scores work he can make life tough on you know even really really good players like uh Steph Curry and Klay Thompson he can make them work for their offense and when he gets a couple to go through he can put five, you know five or six in in a heartbeat um he's you know he's a big two guard he's a capable ball handler he's a guy who can screen for lebron to in some of those uh some of those sets that they like to run to get lebron matched up on a smaller point guard or a guy that he can bully a little bit so jr is, is when they get the best version of him cleveland's offense sort of raises up a level and when they get bad jr when he is you know providing nothing <laughs> it's about as bad as that as cleveland can look so to me he's a big bellwether for them and uh i would imagine lebron's going to do everything he can to kind of get him going early
1: you picked the two i would have picked Ah, uh, dan thanks so much appreciate the time it was a lot of fun great information appreciate it
2: uh, my pleasure steve thanks a lot
1: Dan Devine, a Yahoo Sports, NBA writer, does great work. That was great analysis as well. We'll come back and, uh, don't forget Patrick Chambers next half hour and Matt Leon on the Brian Colangelo situation in the final half hour as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK.